welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. So, iOS 11.3 was released. I think my main interest was the battery health check that comes with it. Oh, yes, yes, of course, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of like the main thing of it, isn't it? 11.3, with the battery thing. I think for a lot of people, yeah, it's, and it's a, a beta feature as well. Yeah, um, I install, I've installed it on mine, um, and it says my battery's at 100%, which I was like, well, I should think so. It's a new phone. Um, but I don't think Heather's installed it yet on my old iPhone 6 that I gave her, because I'd be really interested to see what that's at. Yeah, I, I want Tabby to install it on hers, which is an iPhone 6 as well, but we did the the battery update a couple of months ago now. What do you mean by that? You, you mean you fitted a new battery? Uh, we got a battery fitted for us by an Apple service centre here. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so you should be in pretty good shape then. Yeah, and if it's showing anything, you know, less than like 90-odd percent, then I'm going to be a bit confused and probably a bit annoyed. Yeah, I should think so. Uh, I was going to say, this thing that iPhone 6 that Heather's got, what's that now? That's well over three years old. Yeah. And that's going to be... It's going to be pretty low, I would imagine. So what's the deal? If it's under a certain percentage, you can go to Apple and get a new battery for like 29 uh, whatever it is. Yeah, if if it, if a couple of readings clock in a certain way, so I think ours was um, it was something like in the eighty percent for overall capacity, but then right. the cycles compared to that degradation meant that it, it didn't look like it was in the right sort of right sort of shape. If you get me, you know, okay, it was still holding X amount, but actually because it was in its the age it was according to the cycles. They pegged that as being not quite right, and that ticked enough boxes, and we were eligible for the replacement. Oh, okay. And I was kind of like, yeah, well, I know, right, because it was doing this sort of weird kind of like completely just dropping. It, it was throttling the phone. It was it was that, that side effect of the OS. Yeah, batteries are still a sore point for me at the minute after um, after what happened with the uh, 5C a couple of weeks. I told you about that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Oh, I'm never opening up an iPhone again, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not worth it it's not worth it I, I watched the iFixit thing and I was like yeah this looks really easy um, and I still managed to ruin it so I, th- I think the lesson there is don't don't crack open an iPhone really <laughs> unless you really really have to because the bit where it went wrong is there's these adhesive sort of strips under the battery that hold it in place and there's a little tab at the base of the battery and you kind of rip that tab up and then the adhesive strips apparently stretch they'll stretch to several times their their length. Right. So you then sort of snip this little tab in half because it's two strips that run the length of the battery. And then you sort of start pulling on one half to sort of stretch this adhesive strip. And then once it starts stretching, you kind of pull it around the side of the battery so to sort of run up the length of it and just sort of rip it out from what? underneath it. Oh, that sounds And then you do the same, you do the same in reverse the other side. And I thought, okay, that looks fine. You know, it's a bit weird, but what it doesn't account for is the fact that if you've got a really old iPhone 5C, those adhesive strips, if they've, you know, the battery heats up, the phone heats up, leave the phone in the sun, it heats up, then it cools down, they can kind of lose their stretchiness. Yep. So the first thing I did when I went to pull all these little strips to sort of get the adhesive out from underneath, um, it just snapped instantly. I, d- I didn't even get it to stretch more than like half a centimetre and it just like was all brittle and it snapped. Ouch. Um, so then it was kind of like, 
you need to get a hairdryer out or something and start heating up the back of the phone to try and loosen the glue up. Right. And then wedge something under the battery and prise it out. And, oh, it's horrible. And in doing so, I managed to... I sort of had, like, a credit card thing that I was kind of, like, trying to just gently nudge under the battery again and again. Yeah. As the phone was heating up to loosen the, the glue. And then I kind of slipped... And the credit card went through a ribbon cable, which controlled the mute switch and volume buttons. Ouch. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I put the new battery in, it worked. Yeah, the phone defaulted to always being on loud. Right. And at maximum volume, which kind of was fine. Yeah. I guess, but not really. It was my dad's phone I was doing it on, so he was quite happy because he's been wanting an upgrade for ages. But, yeah, I think this this was a perfect excuse. (laughs) yeah lesson to be learned don't don't touch iphones unless you really know what you're doing yeah and yeah totally it's easy it's, it's easy to watch those videos and be like yeah it's fine i know what i'm doing like i'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a computer person i can do it yeah um but really like i'm no more qualified than anyone else to any other sort of person you might meet in the street to to do this it's like my dad says to me oh can you do it because you know you're into computers i was like well i can but yeah you'd probably have similar success to me <laughs> yeah I mean, essentially, they're just like really small Meccano sets, aren't they, inside? But you've got to have all the right and, tools, and you kind of really do need to know exactly where you're going inside there. Um, yeah. That that sort of situation with the, the um, strip perishing, that's the sort of thing that you would know about if you've been around the block a few times as an engineer on it. Yeah, no, I don't, I've, I've done it with computers before, and I've, I've fit new drives and things into Mac minis and, and older laptops but I don't think I'd go inside a phone. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of said to him, look, th- this could go wrong pretty pretty easily because <laughs> I don't really know what I'm, I'm doing. I'm just following a video in the same way you would. My my skill set as a programmer has got no correlation to me being able to successfully repair this battery. I thought the iPad had a good day on um, uh, Tuesday, though. Yeah, it did. I was pleasantly surprised i mean this is coming from someone that doesn't really care about the ipad that much um <laughs> I, I could almost i was almost feeling the love for the ipad again <laughs> briefly <laughs> join us dave join us no i thought it was um a good event overall in terms of how things are for for the ipads the education event it was definitely pushing you know, the angle of an ipad in every classroom that is what they'd love to see i think just making the the 9.7 the new 9.7 the price that they've done is really quite cool, actually. So, I mean, it's what it's what it's two nine nine dollars for for schools. And over here, it's consumer pricing. It's like three nineteen, as in pounds in the in the UK, right? Which I thought was pretty good, actually, for the for the for what you're getting for that amount of money now. That's uh, it's quite a compelling case, isn't it? Yeah, it's a pretty good deal. You've got a device there that will work with the pencil. It's got a pretty good screen. It's not as good as the the pro it's not got the true tone stuff i believe and i think the refresh rate's not quite as high yeah so it lacks true tone it lacks pro motion and it crucially for me uh, and i haven't used it yet so maybe it's not so crucially but it's not laminated like the pros are so you've got like the air gap right okay yeah yeah so i imagine it's, it's a fraction um thicker as well probably yeah it seems like the gap's closed, though, between like regular iPad and iPad Pro. So it makes me wonder, you know, surely that gap now has to widen again at WWDC in some way to make the Pro compelling. Because at, at first, I remember it's like only not even a year ago, I think you sort of said in 
in one episode, oh, you know, I think I want an iPad, just a regular iPad with a pencil. And I was like, no, that will never happen. Mm. Um, sure enough, now it has. So I was wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if, um, if you took this device now as it is back in time a year ago, I think I'd have ended up getting it. I think I would have actually got this iPad and the pencil rather than my Pro. Yeah, I, I would. I was thinking about it for me. Um, this looks like a great iPad. Now, I mean, now I can get the you know the sort of bar for entry. I can now get an iPad and a pencil for around four hundred pounds. Yeah, um, I forget. I forget exactly what the pencil costs. Is it ninety nine dollars pounds? Yeah, I think it's around so, about that. Like that, isn't it? Yeah, so what four nineteen? Say it's hundred pounds. Four hundred nineteen pounds all in for the entry level with thirty two gig iPad, um, rather than whatever the iPad Pro ten point five is. So you're probably looking at more like seven hundred for that, aren't you, with the pencil? Yeah, yeah, you are. So if you want a pencil, they've slashed three hundred pounds off straight away. If you're willing to, you know, forego uh, True Tone ProMotion and a laminated screen. Uh, there's a step down in CPU as well, I think, isn't there? Because yeah. uh, what is it? The the A10X in the iPad Pros, and this has just got the A10 Fusion. That's right. Yeah, and then there's a step down on the um, Touch ID sensor as well. Oh yeah, that's still coming out of like the iPhone 5s, iPhone 6 era, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. What's that all about? I think that's just another way to to keep it cheap. To be honest with you. But that means they've got to have two production lines now: one of like old Touch ID and one of new Touch ID. Either that or it's, it's running out old stock. Yeah, unless you've got tons of old Touch ID version 1s lying around and they're like, just put it in the new iPad. But yeah, but nevertheless, I, th- I think it's a really capable um, device. I think I saw some benchmarks that had the, the iPad that came out, of, uh, as announced on Tuesday, was outperforming the first gen iPad Pro on Geekbench. Yeah. So yeah, it's a step it's a step down from current gen iPad Pros, but yeah, the, the first iPad Pro, it's actually a step up from it, so... Yeah, it seems like the the lines are they're blurring, aren't they, between that and the Pro? Yeah, um, which got me wondering how it might, you know, how the iPad Pro may take the lead again at WWDC. Well, I think some of the obvious points would be obviously it's all going to hinge on whether they get a processor upgrade. You know, as, mm-hmm. as to whether anything sort of moves along in that regard. And assuming that that does happen, I would assume what like an A11X. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and then assuming that that's the sort of state of play, then I would also assume that maybe we might see a bit of a design tweak and could we potentially see face id come into the ipad pro and an oled maybe yeah i I don't know so much about oled but i I do i do feel like face id would be kind of quite prime for sort of coming to to the ipad pro just in terms of how how i feel with mine is that the um the home button just sort of feels like a useless waste when you sort of got it got it in landscape mode because I swipe up from the bottom for for opening apps and you know by the time the only thing I really use it for is unlocking the device and then moving between applications I don't really need it so face id for unlocking would kind of get rid of that i think the only thing that i would wonder is if the camera sort of stays in the same position as it is would that really work for all of that? Because doesn't Face ID kind of want you to be in portrait mode? Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. So there'd be something for them to square there. And I don't think it would necessarily mean that the uh, the camera has to change position, but perhaps there's, you know, that it might make some of the complications around how Face ID works. Um, I can imagine maybe they, they have to make it a little less responsive if it's trying to sort of flip 
depending on which way around you've got the device, for example. You know, doing mm. doing that sort of calculation and, and flipping things around maybe or whatever needs to happen there, perhaps that adds a bit of latency on, and that's why they've not done it with, with the iPhone ten. I don't know enough about the technology, but I'm, I'm assuming there that if there's no physical reason that they can't just sort of flip the sensor readings and work things out from where it is, then I have to assume it's a latency thing of doing the same calculation twice. I, I don't know. It depends on how people are using their iPads more often. Like if, if you're using them in landscape more often and putting them in, in things with keyboards and that sort of stuff as well, then it makes sense to move the front-facing camera to, to that sort of position. I'm just thinking, actually, like all of my family have got iPads. Um, my grand and my mum are on iPad Airs. My dad's got an iPad Pro 12.9 um, for reasons I don't fully understand, but that's fine. Um, and they all use it in landscape. Yeah. They don't even attempt to, to, to use it in portrait at any point. Now, the main time I use um, mine in portrait is when I'm drawing on it. And, and Oh, really? Yeah, like if I'm drawing something that is in that sort of orientation or if I'm doing something that's um, kind of laying stuff out, I'll quite often de- default to sort of a portrait view. Um, but that's just me. You know, that's that's my idiosyncrasy, really. Um, I think it comes from kind of I used to draw comic books when I was a kid and it sort of feels like that sort of shape, you know. Potentially that could be it then. Face ID and a new kind of redesign is what, plus obviously hardware uh, upgrades could be what, what separates it. Yeah. I, uh, I I honestly think if what what they've announced now as the iPad, I think would be my next iPad. If you know, say ours went pop, yep. I think um, I, I see I see no reason to go iPad Pro. If iPad was my only computer, if I was going to say like never again, am I going to buy a MacBook? I would probably go iPad Pro for that. You know, just so that I'm sort of in in, in the best position to embrace iPad. Um, yeah, but the way I the way I use it is yeah, this is this is the perfect ipad for for the way i use it um heather kind of uses the ipad air we've got at the moment kind of like as a coffee table computer i would call it um it kind of gets picked up put down just to like google for recipes look for flights and various things like that yeah um we we use it for charlie sometimes like if he's sat in his high chair he quite likes to watch postman pat so we'll put postman pat on the ipad and pop it on the table for him and he loves that while he's eating a snack or something um so Really, I, I use it the least out of anybody. Um, and the only thing that intrigues me is really the pencil. So the fact I can now get that at a pretty good price point, I think, is uh, that's great. I mean, I hope it doesn't... It's going to cannibalise sales, surely, of the iPad Pro to some degree. Um, I imagine it will do, but I think that really is just going to be between now and the next iteration. Yeah, hopefully they can keep pushing the iPad Pro line forward. I mean, there's someone who's not really into the iPad... I still want to see it do really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've kind of got development ideas that include the iPad in quite a massive way. And, and I'm kind of hoping in a way that that, that might, in, in a strange kind of way, bring me round to the iPad. If I kind of embrace it from a development point of view, then maybe I'll kind of get more into it and be able to, to use it as part of my sort of workflow. Um, but yeah, still not, still not sure on that yet. Do you think that this machine might be a, a kind of developer device after a point? You know, it's that sort of situation of, well, okay, you, you need a device to test out how an app works on the iPad and kind of get a grip of the ecosystem, but you don't want to go all in. Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah, this is this is the iPad I would get. I, I would For me, the iPad Pro now is completely out of the question now that this iPad is is out there. 
yeah, sure, it's not, you know, the screen isn't laminated, it's got a rubbish touch ID version one, but yeah, I, I, I can live with that. That's fine. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. And again, if it was on your desk and you're using it as a, a development device primarily and it's never really leaving your house, then you might just get rid of um, of passcodes and everything completely. Just have it as an open device. You know, the, the, yeah, that's a point. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Touch ID might, might not even be a, a need at that point. So one thing I wanted to ask you, sort of iPad aside, hardware aside, what what did you think of sort of Apple's overall vision for education? It's it's interesting. So I think that it's it, it, for me it sort of feels halfway compelling rather than fully compelling. In that I still can't imagine the the sort of schools that I know and the people I know in schools kind of jumping on and having iPads in every classroom. There's that element of it still perhaps not being quite cheap enough for sort of everybody. And that, that sort of feels a bit weird. Yeah. But that said, you know, for the schools that do do it and, and for those that are looking at doing it, the entry point is now that bit lower uh, for, for iPads at least. And the actual software side of stuff, that that looks quite cool actually overall. You know, if, if, if you're going to have a classroom full of iPads, then you know, sure, it looks like, like things are moving along sort of with class kits and um, all of that, that side of stuff. I can't remember what the name is for the app that's going to come to the Mac as well. Uh, was it Classroom or Schoolwork? Something like that. Um, there, there was several, wasn't there? I started to get a bit confused. I started glazing over at one point when they <laughs> during the presentation. But I think it's it's the one for managing everything, isn't it? It's, it's the one where you can um, take control of screens or to some degree or, or um, control kind of what it is the students are up to. Yeah, so you get like a bird's eye view of like all the iPads in the class and then you can look at one and offer, you know, go and help out if like there's a student that's struggling with an activity, say, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. so that, that looked quite interesting to me. And and I was listening to um, the Core Intuition podcast uh, the other day and they covered this as well. And one thing they discussed was the possibility that, that this app is actually going to be a demonstration of Marzipan because it's, it's, it's actually not coming until June. <laughs> yes, yes, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because they they kind of made the point. Oh, and it also runs on Mac in the presentation, and they just put up a slide of it running on a MacBook. Yeah, and yeah, that made me think at the time. I was like, oh, is that going to be Marzipan? Potentially. I mean, it's an app that hasn't existed until well, until now, right? It's not like an app that's been around for a while. Yeah, and it's on iPad already, isn't it? Oh, I hope we get Marzipan this June. <laughs> I really hope we do. Um, I think this is nods towards that. I really do. Yeah, I, I think you kind of line up with me then, mostly, um, with how you feel about it. I I kind of worried that their their vision of education was maybe a little bit too idealistic. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say I don't love the vision. I, I love their vision that they kind of pitched to to us all. Um, as as did Heather, who is who is a teacher. Um, you know the feature the features that they showed off look great. There's uh, what's that like the smart annotations where you can mark up a pages document. I think ARKit shows huge potential in the classroom. Um, yeah, they've made that work with playgrounds now as well. Have they? Yeah, so I think you can work with a playground on the iPad and work with ARKit. Yeah, I think ARKit is going to be massive in education. I mean, the the thing they demoed where uh, you know the kids standing in the classroom with an iPad and all of a sudden pop there's like a, a fine work of art from a museum 
that's in AR within the classroom and you can sort of wander up to it and get really, really close with the iPad and pretty much see the brush strokes yeah. um, if you sort of walk right up to it. And, you know, as I said in the presentation, kind of almost better than going to the real gallery because no gallery is going to let you this close, not in a million years. <laughs> um, and then there's the whole uh, book authoring thing. So teachers could kind of make little mini textbooks or handouts or, you know, interactive things with video and images. and It all looks awesome. Um, but then, you know, two ninety nine an iPad still adds up, doesn't it? And it's not like the price is really a headline feature of this event because the the iPad was always two nine nine to education in any case. So yes. it's not like there's been a not been like some kind of price cut on Apple's part. But then that's not who they are, is it? They don't compete on price. No. Um, they've put forward a really really compelling um, sort of story and a vision, and it's kind of like if you want it, you can buy it. And that's kind of, it's like, yes, we, yeah, they're trying to say we're better than the competition in all these ways, which is kind of why you have to pay a bit more, which is kind of Apple all over, isn't it? It is. Um, there's another message in it, though, I think, as well, with, with ClassKit and that side of stuff, which is they're also kind of saying to developers, if you want to be here, you can be here. You know, these these are some of the tools you can use to sort of really be here as well in terms of expanding out your apps and and having them link into this sort of cool system. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it sort of feels quite aspirational at the moment to me. And I think part of that is because I'm not really involved in it and I have difficulty kind of relating to it in terms of the, the people I know in schools already. But that, that doesn't mean it's not something that, that other people aren't doing or that, that people couldn't get towards. Yeah, it's just when I start thinking about things like Chromebooks, which are you know, almost like buy one, get one free. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, you know, uh, Google offer G Suite to education for free. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I can't stress enough that I think that what Apple was offering is great. But in the face of Chromebooks and in the face of free G Suite, it almost becomes a tough sell again. I mean, I, I get, I get that educational apps can't be as rich in the browser as they can be on, you know, like an iPad. Especially when you throw in the likes of AR Kit in the demos that they just, you know, showed off on Tuesday. Yeah. Um. I mean, no doubt these apps are probably also going to cost money for the schools as well. Um, yeah, the iPads are two nine nine a piece. The pencils are ninety nine dollars a piece. Um, even if you go for the crayon that they announced, those are fifty dollars a piece. Yeah, which are only available in schools. I read. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it's a cool idea, though. It's essentially an Apple pencil without the pressure sensitivity. Yeah, and I think it works off on a fixed frequency, so um, it makes pairing it easier because with your apple I, i've never used an apple, or set up an apple pencil but i'm guessing it's like a bluetooth device is that right it is but you um you connect it into the lightning port and then it does a handshake there and then after that it's paired yeah i think the idea of like it being on a like a frequency is just that there, there is none of that it makes it simpler in a, in a classroom environment but even then I, I worry in the real world with real school budgets would would, would that work i mean i really hope it does um, and I don't know enough about school budgeting to have a real sense of how many schools could likely get on board with this vision that Apple put forward. Um, but my gut feeling says it might be quite tough because <laughs> it's uh, that's a lot of money, isn't it? Um, even if you just buy a pool of them to use across many students rather than sort of one to one, it it still it still starts to add up. It does. Uh, I don't know. I'd be super interested to see what adoption looks like twelve months from now. Yeah. There is an element of it's always been this way, though, I guess, to a degree. If you look back at sort of what um, what computers cost 
in the eighties and the nineties. I think they were in the still in the sort of several thousand dollar mark for some machines, yeah. So I mean, on on the one hand, yeah, schools are strapped for cash and everything else, but I do wonder is is there a, a comparison here to be made between well, yeah, okay, you could buy a many a many volume of Chromebooks for sort of X amount, um, and you make yeah. it, you know four or five iPads or whatever that works out to being. But yeah, you wind back the clock and it was one computer and a computer that arguably did a lot less, you know. So there's something there sort of in terms of relativity of it all, I guess. It's it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think Apple don't compete on price. Um, but then I, I do think that when you're dealing with deploying stuff en masse, especially in education... Price is a big issue still, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's something there as well for me in terms of, of how kids access things when they're not in the school. So it's, it's one thing if the school has got the iPads and they've got everything set up, but then when those kids go home and those machines stay in the school, do they have these things at home? They might have access to it. They might have an older iPhone maybe, for example. That's certainly how things work in our house. The kids sort of get the hand-me-downs. Uh, they might have access to a PC and they may have a, it might be a house that's got um, Android tablets. How how do they then carry on working with their work if they're not in the ecosystem? How, how do they, they sort of do um, homework and that sort of stuff and have anything part of the same experience that they were having back in the classroom? Yeah, I guess to a certain extent they can use iWork in the cloud though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And I, but that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. So I, I wonder if there's a burden there on um, app developers, potentially as well, for sort of thinking about some of those things. You know, if you're making an app that lets kids do certain things in the classroom, how might they bring that, that work home? How might they add to it if they were doing something in homework? Uh, is there a way of kind of making that a bit more open in one way or another? I don't know. Yeah, web app would seem to be the the place to do it isn't it yeah yeah exactly even if it's just a simple kind of route back into to what you were doing in the classroom you know there's a bit of extra extra work there or something that the kids can do through the web app and through a login and then everything's back in the ipads when they're back in in the classroom the only other thing i've got to say is that obviously no macs are announced no, no Macs were announced, and to be honest, I think that's as it should have been for this announcement, unless it was going to be the MacBook Air. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just delighted that there were no Macs announced, mostly because I worried that if, you know, that event was kind of, it was all about iPad, and it was very, it was quite a, a condensed event, I thought. It was all sort of done and dusted within about an hour. Um, so if there were going to be any mention of a uh, MacBook Air, it would have just been a, or I think it probably would have just been a, a rushed kind of, look, here's a cheaper MacBook Air with a, a spec bump and it's nine ninety nine, eight ninety nine, whatever. You can see it on the store um, later on. Yeah, but the fact that they haven't done that, now we're essentially looking looking ahead to WWDC and now that's a, an event where the Mac is more likely to get more stage time and they can talk about it in more detail and they can talk about the whole Mac laptop lineup and... Hopefully, what I'm hoping is that we can now see the whole lineup reconsidered. Yeah. And maybe once and for all, um, you know, the MacBook Air can go away. <laughs> That's what I hope anyway. 
I'm not quite with you there, Dave, to be honest. I, I kind of think that the MacBook Air could have a, another life and be reborn in some way. But that's, again, that, that's me kind of going into wish casting mode as I want to do. So I... Yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to, to sort of say how to do stuff when you don't have to engineer it. But yeah. for me, I would take the 12 inch MacBook, stretch it to make it 13.3 inches, put a fan in it, put a better CPU in it, put two at least two USB C ports on it, and obviously the Retina screen. And wallop, there it is, the 13 inch MacBook. Yeah. And then the MacBook Air can go. I don't have a problem with a machine like the MacBook Air that's been bumped in specs, which is essentially what I've just described, right? As long as you get rid of the uh, the bevel, then yeah. Yeah, and get rid of the air. It doesn't need to be called the air at all. The air days are gone. Uh, that was always such a confusing time, I think, just in terms of their product naming, even when applied to the iPad. Yeah, the iPad Air is kind of like, what? Why is it called that? For, I mean, I get that it's thin, but... For the iPad, it really didn't feel like it made sense. Certainly not for the second generation. Like like the first generation, no. it made sense at the time because that was a distinguishing thing. It was thinner. But then beyond that, that was just how one, an iPad should be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was like the canonical iPad, right? Yeah. The 9.7, reasonably thin. And with the MacBook, it made sense initially to kind of pitch it in between MacBook and MacBook Pro because it was like that differentiated it and, and that made it clear what what the angle of the product was the fact is this is a really thin and light laptop it gave it that's its purpose yeah and it just and that name described its purpose really really well um but no wwdc i hope we just get yeah macbook macbook pros done that's fair and, and i think uh just to add to that i think there's something i've seen with this this most recent event um around it being sort of so ipad centric in that it feels to me like the, the narrative is now building that the iPad is your your entry level device. You know, that is your your baseline. You want to do a bit more computing than your phone, you have an iPad. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they're going this sort of sort of route overall, then where does that leave the Mac? And how does the story around the Mac sort of line up with with that narrative as well? Um, I'm thinking very much around the advert that they had a couple of months back, I think it was, with the the child using an iPad and going out out about their day. And, you know, they use the iPad for for pretty much everything. They're doing the homework on it. They're chatting to friends. They're sending pictures. They're they're sending messages. uh, They're playing it and sitting out in the back garden and they're on it. And the mother says something like, oh, it's time for you to come off the computer. And the kid turns around and goes... What's a computer? You know, the the iPad is their device, and they don't understand it. It's it's the difference, if you see. I, I that kind of makes me reconsider. You know, the whole MacBook MacBook Pro naming structure. Then, in that case, because it's almost like you say, if if the iPad is the entry level device, then any MacBook you get is almost like Pro. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, even the twelve-inch MacBook is still really, really nice. You could almost say it's kind of like a MacBook Pro. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the whole lot is just called MacBook, and there's a like a gradient that just starts at the twelve-inch and it goes up and up and up in price and up and up and up in spec till you get to like the really tricked-out fifteen inches. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's 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 difficult, isn't it, to kind of frame the Mac? Yeah. In, in light of these really quite affordable iPads and really quite capable iPads that most people are, is enough for most people. It's almost like if that isn't enough for you, then even if you just get a 12-inch MacBook, you're probably doing kind of more pro-y things on it 
and, I, and by pro I don't necessarily mean like creative work or working in Xcode all day but just doing doing stuff that doesn't necessarily lend itself to being done on an iPad all day yeah uh, yeah yeah it's, it's an in, it must be an interesting time in product marketing right now trying to frame all this correctly yeah and I'm just looking forward to June all the more to be honest because I sort of feel like that's when we're going to sort of see the vast majority of everything that's going on with all of this you know I don't think it's yeah. just going to be about the the platform and the, and the SDKs and that side of stuff. I think, yeah, there's a potential narrative reset going on there with the Mac and how everything fits together. And I'm really looking forward to sort of seeing what that is. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com, my latest app to help kids learn to read. You can find at spacereaders.com and on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott. 